From WGVU, this is Focus West Michigan for February 6, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. For our main feature today, David Limbaugh sits down with the ACLU's Mark Fancher to talk about a recent report about Michigan State Police traffic stops. Also, the Kent County Administration offices are set to relocate. There's a verdict in the case of Jennifer Crumley and more State and West Michigan news. Focus West Michigan is brought to you by listeners like you. To support this show and everything we do here, visit wgvunews.org and click the donate button. A major relocation plan for Kent County administration offices is set to begin soon. It includes relocation of downtown staff to new offices at the county's Fuller Avenue campus. WGVU's Steve Morrison looks at the plan. Hundreds of Kent County employees will relocate in the coming years under a new facilities plan. Administrator Al Vandenberg says crews will demolish an old state police lab on what's called the Fuller Campus near Fuller Avenue and I-96, where the sheriff's office and county jail are located. The former Kent Community Hospital will come down too when its lease with Corwell Health expires in October. A new $600 million administration building will go up. When completed, county employees working at 300 Monroe near Grand Rapids City Hall and Calder Plaza will move in. Vandenberg says it will create a centralized location for county services with convenient parking. For the public to be able to drive up and park for free right in front of the door where they walk in and get service will be a huge advantage over, over what we're doing now. The county prosecutor's office and staff will move from 82 Ionia into a renovated 300 Monroe building. 82 Ionia will be sold in hopes it can be converted into much-needed residential space, says Vandenberg. I also think getting the 82 Ionia building back on the tax roll and getting a development in that building will be a win for the public. Some commissioners previously raised concerns about the economic impact of moving workers out of downtown. Vandenberg says... The 200 people are still in the city of Grand Rapids. I mean, we're literally a five-minute drive away. Vandenberg says it may take up to five years to complete. I'm Dee Morrison. The mild winter has made it tough on those West Michigan businesses who rely on snow, ice, and freezing temperatures. WGVU's David Limbaugh spoke with an employee of Muskegon Luge Adventure Sports Park about how they're dealing with the unseasonably warm weather. Everything we do here in the wintertime relies on natural weather conditions. Bill Bailey is an outdoor adventure specialist with Muskegon Luge Adventure Sports Park. The nonprofit group leases the 300 acres of Muskegon State Park that makes up the facility through a partnership with the Michigan DNR. They receive no funding through the state of Michigan. The facility is funded through programs, donations, and grants. Bailey says that with milder winters becoming more common, they've had to come up with additional year-round activities. Because winters certainly are not improving, you know, there's a lot of indications that suggest we're going to have continued warm winters here in Michigan or winters that don't bring quite as much snow as they used to. Those year-round activities include hiking, a zip line, rock climbing wall, and a new form of synthetic ice imported from Switzerland for ice skating called Slice. But even with these new offerings, Bailey says that they're not able to completely transition from those winter activities. We kind of have this in-between time where it's uh, not quite cold enough to make ice, but it's still not quite warm enough to be operating our zip line. Because of this, the park is currently closed. Despite these setbacks, Bailey says they will continue to hold out hope that winter will still make at least one more appearance before February is over. We never give up. Winter always arrives in Michigan, and sometimes it's spotty and sometimes it's delayed. I'm David Limbaugh.
Tickets for John Ball Zoo's incredibly popular Chinese Lantern Festival are now on sale to the general public. WGVU's David Limbaugh explains why you may want to get yours early. With getting tickets on sale so early and giving people a chance to buy their tickets early, we definitely expect um, certain dates to sell out again this year. Darcy Napolillo is the promotions and events manager at John Ball Zoo. She says last year's Chinese Lantern Festival, a first for the zoo, turned out to be a pleasant surprise. We welcomed over 110,000 people over the course of eight weeks, so we knew that we wanted to extend that a little bit to give people more time to come and see it. This year, the festival will run for 10 weeks. Napolillo says that even if you came to the event last year, both the lanterns and the theming will be different this time around. There'll be more um, interactive exhibits that are newer this year and even some that have been custom made for a John Ball Zoo, so they are new to us and haven't been seen at any other shows around the country. Napolillo says she thinks the festival is so popular because it's something you can't see anywhere else in the state of Michigan. You can purchase Purchase tickets online at jbzoo.org. The Lantern Festival runs April 10th through June 16th. I'm David Limbaugh. After searching the country for the best location, a Swedish company that makes ingredients for medicines is settling in Muskegon Township. WGVU's Phil Dawson explains the where and why. Cytiva is moving into the old Bayer Crop Science facility on Whitehall Road in Muskegon Township. We're very happy to be here. Mike Rapich is the Cytiva Director of Strategic Programs. We did kind of a, a all United States search, uh, settled on Michigan. This is a uh, old um, chemical manufacturing site that had been just shut down when we bought it, and we saw a real opportunity. The Michigan Strategic Fund is giving Cytiva $3 million in grants to train their workforce. Sarah Bishop is a Michigan Economic Development Corp project manager. The project is expected to generate a total capital investment of $430 million and create up to 200 jobs. We've onboarded, let's say we're, we're up to 60 or 70 at this point. Too often we see facilities that close and they become a burden on the community. Randy Thalen is a Michigan Strategic Fund board member. See this have renewed life um, for the community and for the 200 plus people that will work there is, is exceptional. I'm Phil Dawson. Local officials and Democrats in the legislature are calling for a state fund to help low-income households avoid water service shutoffs because they can't afford to pay their bills. We have more from Rick Pluta. Advocates say there should be a statewide water assistance program similar to the one that helps low-income households pay for heat. A 2020 report by the Natural Resources Defense Council found 317,000 households face the threat of water shutoffs. Democratic State Senator Stephanie Chang says that's bad for families and it destabilizes communities. The statewide water affordability legislation is not only the moral thing to do for Michiganders who are struggling to make ends meet, it is also the smart thing to do. Under the legislation, the funding would come from a $2 per meter surcharge on water bills. I'm Rick Pluta. With just one more permit remaining, Enbridge is preparing to get the Line 5 tunnel project out of the planning stage. The company announced at the Mackinac Straits Corridor Authority meeting on Friday that it's chosen a contractor to construct the four-mile tunnel. Anna Mooney is a government relations manager with Enbridge. She says the company is still onboarding the contractor and plans to, quote, thoughtfully roll them out to the public. A lot of the focus uh, for at least this next year for the contractor will be around permitting, really helping to uh, ensure that we can move forward with the Army Corps and our permitting. The authority has also selected a firm that's meant to independently review the tunnel engineering and plans. The state says it's still working with the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers to, quote, update the timeline on the final federal permit needed for the tunnel. 
knowingly lying about the time or place of an election, voter qualifications, or someone's eligibility to vote could become illegal. That's under a bill introduced today in the Michigan Senate. The bill seeks to cut back on misinformation meant to discourage someone from voting. Bill sponsor, Democratic Senator Mary Kavanaugh, says that's being spread via robocalls and other methods. Kavanaugh says the bill focuses on attempts to circulate misinformation in vulnerable communities. It's mainly targeting seniors and young people um, with the basic information of elections, where to get it, how to vote, um, or if there's certain qualifications of coming out of jail or being incarcerated that no longer allows you to vote. It's just making sure that our laws are transparent, it's fair, and truthful. Critics say they fear the bill could come down too hard on people for relaying information they're told. The legislation would set a $1,000 fine for intentionally lying about election misinformation and a $10,000 fine for hiring someone to intentionally lie. A jury has found Jennifer Crumley, whose teenage son killed four people in a shooting at Oxford High School in 2021, guilty on four counts of involuntary manslaughter. It's a landmark verdict in regard to holding parents accountable for the actions of their children. After seven days of listening to witnesses and two days of deliberation, the four-person read the juror's decision to Oakland County Judge Cheryl Matthews. On count one of involuntary manslaughter, as to Madison Baldwin, we find the defendant guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Each count was tied to the student her son murdered. In arriving at the verdict, the jury agreed with the prosecution's argument that Ms. Crumbly was so caught up in her own affairs, she ignored the mental health of her son, showing gross negligence by buying him a gun, not securing it, and failing to tell the school officials about the firearm when she had the chance. Jennifer Crumbly will return to court for sentencing in April. Her husband, James Crumbly, will stand trial on identical charges next month. Your Wednesday edition of the Shelley Irwin Show, The Scam Alert is Blood. How do consumers protect themselves from identity theft? We speak with those from the FTC. Plus, what trended on Google searches in January? Specifically, the odd news. Tomorrow. The 2024 report, titled Michigan State Police Traffic Enforcement and Assessment of Policies, Training, and Operations, was conducted by Virginia-based consulting firm CNA Corporation and was commissioned by state officials after an analysis by the American Civil Liberties Union found that black motorists comprised 17 to 20 percent of state police stops from 2017 to 2020. The report stated that minority motorists are disproportionately stopped by MSP officers due to a policy that allows troopers the freedom to decide where they patrol. It states that troopers tend to patrol urban areas, increasing stops in order to make entries in their daily logs every 20 to 30 minutes. Failure to make these entries could affect their employee evaluations. As urban areas are more likely to contain non-white residents, this may inadvertently lead to disparate stops. Mark Fancher is the staff attorney for the Racial Justice Project with the American Civil Liberties Union. He spoke with WGVU's David Limbaugh about the report. Well, I believe that it is uh, an excellent uh, report. It discloses and makes available to the public many of the systemic problems which account for the racial disparities which have been established in the past by Michigan State University researchers and by the ACLU of Michigan and provides an opportunity for MSP uh, to address very directly uh, many of the, uh, the policies, practices, and the culture that accounts for the problems that uh, we've identified in the past. Was there anything in the report that surprised you? 
Nothing that surprised me. Uh, there were some things that uh, I became aware of personally for the first time, but which were consistent with other things that I had observed. Many of the things that we had identified for uh, MSP in the past as things that we thought were problems are reflected in the report. Uh, the requirements for performance evaluations that involve uh, meeting a certain number of, of stops uh, that uh, are to be made by the troopers, uh, the practice of quote-unquote going beyond the stop, uh, these were things that we had identified and uh, found to be problematic, as well as some other things. The report states that the department, and I'm quoting here, does not provide sufficient training on the use of discretion after a motorist is stopped. Do you agree with that? Yeah, I do agree with that. And not only do they not provide enough training, but the the directions that they, uh, that they give uh, are, in many cases, perceived by the troopers as a license to violate the Constitution. Uh, so the the term that I referred to earlier, going beyond the stop, is not something that uh, the troopers made up or that we made up. Uh, that comes from the highest levels of leadership uh, within the Michigan State Police. And what it essentially says to the troopers is that when you make a, a traffic stop, even a routine one, that you should prolong the stop, that you should do other things, uh, even if it's uh, just helping the, the motorists to become better acquainted with MSP, uh, you should prolong the stop. And the troopers use it as a license not to just engage the motorists, but many times to interrogate them, uh, to ask them to exit the vehicle, to search the vehicle uh, in a pursuit of uh, what might be the basis for the arrest for a more serious crime. And that is unconstitutional. Uh, a trooper or any law enforcement official is authorized to make a, a stop of a vehicle only when they have probable cause to believe that the driver has committed a traffic infraction, or in the alternative, if they have reasonable suspicion that the vehicle is involved or is about to be involved in uh, a more serious crime. And if they stop them because of a traffic infraction, then the driver is to be detained only as long as it takes for the trooper to issue a citation or to give them a warning. Uh, they cannot be detained any longer than that. So when MSP leadership has told uh, the troopers that they're allowed to, quote, unquote, go beyond the stop, then that on its face suggests to the troopers that they have license to violate the Constitution. And that's a very big problem from the perspective of the ACLU, and it should be from uh, the perspective of any citizen who respects the Constitution. From this point forward, what do you feel the MSP needs to do in order to change things? Uh, starting with the recommendations made by the researchers is a good start. Uh, but beyond that, I think that they should take a more honest and comprehensive uh, look at uh, the agency, the troopers, and the culture uh, that dominates uh, the, the agency itself. Uh, they're not immune to law enforcement culture that exists many places. Uh, there are underlying reasons why uh, there are these racial disparities in these stops. So if we talk, for example, about the going beyond the stop phenomenon, uh, that has racial implications when the troopers 
involved uh, carry with them a lot of the racial baggage that many of us carry uh, in the way of implicit bias uh, or because of stereotypes about people of color and their proclivity uh, toward crime. And so if, if someone stops a driver of color and they feel that they have license to go beyond the stop, it is more likely that they are going to continue to search and search and look and interrogate until they find what they believe has to be some evidence of some crime because all people of color have crimes according to, uh, commit crimes according to the stereotypes. And, and we really believe that that's what happened in a case that, that we filed against them on behalf of a young African-American couple that was stopped uh, without cause because even though they were accused of having run a red light, they did not. Uh, but after they were stopped, they were detained for almost 90 minutes uh, in a fruitless search for uh, the fruits of crime uh, or for some other contraband. Uh, and we honestly believe that it was because there was a, a belief that this black couple must have something in, in the car. Uh, that is the basis for an arrest. And we have at, at times asked individual troopers if the driver were not a person of color, if it were a uh, person who is middle-aged to older, uh, who's white, who's driving a, a BMW, whether they would go beyond the stop in, in those cases. Would they ask them to exit the vehicle? Would they search the vehicle? Would they keep them? Uh, for more than an hour. And they always say, yes, they would, uh, but we just don't believe that. Well, one, of, one of the other findings in the report concerns MSP's involvement in the Secure Cities program. Uh, and this is where MSP works collaboratively with local uh, police departments, primarily in urban areas with large uh, populations of color. And one of the observations that they make is that these officers are given very little direction, uh, and they are not given specific instructions about how to patrol, who to patrol, where to patrol, and that they make their own decisions about these things. And there is a belief that uh, this tends to result in the troopers gravitating toward communities of color uh, and approaching uh, individuals who are people of color. And that not only the racial element to this, but also because of the uh, recent history of tensions between communities of color and law enforcement, uh, there is always the potential for uh, explosive kinds of encounters. And we think that generally uh, law enforcement should look at the prospect of diversifying the workforce not just with respect to race and ethnicity, but also with respect to professional credentials. Mark Fancher, staff attorney for the Racial Justice Project. Thank you for speaking with us today. No problem. Thank you for, your do for doing the story. This has been Focus West Michigan from WGVU for February 6, 2024. I'm Joe Balecki. Our audio operations manager is Rick Beerling, and our news and public affairs director is Patrick Center. We'll be back with more news and events in West Michigan tomorrow, wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening.